All right, folks, you are listening to the Shai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it, wherever you are. Today is Tzom Gedalia, the fast of Gedalia, Ben Achikam, and this is really the story. It's a sad day in the Jewish tradition. It's one of the four fasts, uh, and this is the um, kind of sad story of a loss of, of political Jewish control in the land of Israel when Jews themselves finished off the work uh, of of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who destroyed uh, the first temple uh, Jewish commonwealth, but still there was in place a uh, small remnant of Jews, and there was a, a king that was established there, or, or a governor really, that was established by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonian uh, monarchy, by the Babylonian hegemony of the time, uh, and then uh, jealous Jews, Jews uh, that were related to the kingdom, uh, the previous kingdom the, and the Davinic dynasty, uh, also with the help of foreign kings, uh, came to to Gedaliah and, and murdered him. And that was really the end. That was the end uh, of the Jewish commonwealth here in the land of Israel. And so uh, one of the painful things about that is is the self-hating aspect of the Jewish people and the kind of destructive, and sometimes we are the forcers not sometimes, every time we are the 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 the, the thing that pushes towards a galut, towards exile, and so today I'm fasting along with many other people, and maybe you are as well. Uh, and to me, this is a particular day, and it comes right after Rosh Hashanah, which is a day where we crown God king, and then the next day, right after Rosh Hashanah, we remember how we unseated our own governance. And uh, it's a particularly strong day for me. Um, also, I think maybe it's that, that, that the fact that the Jews themselves kind of did it uh, to themselves, and we kind of know the story. And we're talking about a very ancient story. We're talking about something from, um, we're talking about something that happened 2,500 years ago, uh, and uh, a loss of Jewish sovereignty at our own hands. That's that's pretty that's pretty painful, um, um, and and it's something that especially speaks to me today when I see that we take steps, active steps, to undermine Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. I think that's happening right now. I think there are many steps, and I want to tell you that I am. Uh, I've put myself in a kind of corner in this world where my job is to uh, bring positivity, bring people to excitement, and to heat, and being turned on to. Uh, the story of Israel, being part of Israel, living in Israel, supporting Israel, and understanding the centrality of Israel. And yet at the same time, I see some phenomena right now which are uh, undermining Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. I think that today on this fast day, I'm really allowed to talk about it uh, and not be accused of being negative. Um, I really do see that we are, in many ways, giving the keys away uh, of the state to the Arabs. Um, and somebody told me many years ago that that the Israeli left is going to be more willing to give away the keys to the state of Israel to the Arabs than to the to the religious people. They're more willing to see it become an Arab state than become a religious state, and that comes from that jealousy. Like they don't want it to turn into uh, that Jewish state that was envisioned or envisaged so long ago they don't want to do that they they would prefer that that it goes to like a track that makes more sense in line with what they were talking about if they were talking about a kind of particular particularism but was a secularism 
you know, liberalism comes on the heels of that. And so therefore, the particularism of a Jewish state can fade away, and the liberalism, a Jewish type of liberalism, which is also not so different from a Jewish kind of communism, is taking over. And so we now are being taught that we have a joint history with the Arabs. Uh, excuse me, not history. I mean a joint uh, uh, destiny with the Arabs. And in the meantime, while we're being taught this philosophy, uh, Arabs are taking over. Palestinians are taking over land. We've, they've already taken over areas A and B in Judea and Samaria. And now that they, now they have a, a, a rushed effort to try to, uh, an accelerated effort to try to take over Area C, and our state is not doing much to stop them. And one gets the sense that they get a wink and a nod. Uh, that they can keep going with this project. Now, uh, we just had uh, a few months ago an awful, an awful war uh, conflict, and in that conflict, we saw that that Arabs living uh, in Israeli cities, Israeli Arabs, are acting like Palestinians in the sense that they are not beholden to, uh, nor are they. What's the word I'm looking for here? It is a fast day. Remember, uh, they, they do not. Uh, they they are not. They do not have allegiance to the state of Israel. They have allegiance to a Palestine. Now, Palestine is not the state that lives next to Israel. Palestine is an ideology that the Jewish people don't belong in Judea and Samaria because they have no history and no rights there, that this is an Islamic land. And so if that's true about Judea and Samaria, it's certainly true about the rest of Israel. And if you ask any of the pro-Palestinian Israeli Arabs, you ask them, when did the occupation begin? They'll all say the occupation began in 1948. And that means that they don't believe in the state of Israel in toto. So you're really undermining your narrative when you're, belie- when you're talking about a two-state solution and when you're believing that Palestinian Israelis, meaning to say Israeli Arabs who are pro-Palestinian, uh, are, 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 uh, have allegiance to the state of Israel, they don't. And how do you know that? Just ask them if they're pro-Palestine. And if they vote for a pro-Palestine party, just you have to believe 100%. It's clear as day that they believe in the destruction of the state of Israel, even though that they are enjoying the benefits of it in the meantime. And yet the state of Israel is being so weak that it's not actually tackling the problem of the Israeli Arabs. And so you sit in meetings and you hear somebody, I sat in a meeting and I heard somebody you know, talking about that the existential threat to Israel is the settlements because we need to make defensible borders and shrink the state of Israel so that we won't have all these excess Arabs that are going to swallow us up demographically. And I was just like, I was just like, like, how long are we going to have these two-state solutionists, you know, running our country and and with these with these idiotic ideas? I said to him, you know, one, uh, it's been already proven to you that the Israeli Arabs within the borders of the small Israel are already that that danger. Uh, you think you can get rid of the Palestinian Arabs and, and stay safe with the Israeli Arabs? You've got problems in Haifa, in Yafo, in Akko, uh, uh, and in. Uh, in, in, in Beersheba, in the, in the Galil, um, and, in the, and then, of course, the, the cities of, of Ramle and, and Lud. So you're, you have such a problem already inside. And then if you leave Judea and Samaria, God forbid, then what happens is, is those areas become the front of the jihad against the rest of Israel, now an even smaller Israel. And and that is uh, uh, that's exactly what happened in Gaza, uh, and and that's what, what happened in South Lebanon, and that's what happened in Sinai, 
And these places become the front of the jihad against you. So, And this is going to hug Jerusalem and completely give them an advantage to destroy us. And thirdly, and this is the thing that they never appreciate, the, the folks on the left, they never appreciate, is that you've created a, a tailwind for the jihadist thinking because they're like, look, the Jews are leaving. We're beating them all the time. And now that they left their heartland, God forbid, they will leave the rest and we will get them to leave Judea and Samaria. We'll get them to leave Jerusalem and we'll get them to leave the whole thing at the end. And sometimes you think that the state of Israel doesn't understand these things and is behaving in a way that is giving um, uh, uh, the, 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 the Palestinian, Palestinianism, jihadism, a continued advantage. And this is not only in land. This is also in the narrative that they're telling our children uh, about about how the future is going to look. And there are little things like the medical institutions and community. The medical community is being taken over by Arabs. And the state of Israel, the state of Israel has uh, affirmative action for Arabs to become doctors and basically disaffirmative action, uh, basically challenging young Jewish people who want to become doctors more and more to help give them a hard time to actually get into Israeli medical schools and to get a job here and to make some money here. There's disincentives. That's the word I was looking for. There's disincentives in the system. And, and, and the system is becoming deeply Arab. And, and this, is a, this is actually an existential threat to Israel because you could have uh, a boycott of uh, you, you could have picketers. You could have a medical establishment being put to uh, made into a halt, bring, bring it to a halt uh, because we don't have medical personnel who will uh, man Jewish medical personnel who will man the, the 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 positions in case the Arabs walk out for some reason. And this was all exacerbated very badly by what happened now with these six prisoners, including Zechariah Zubaydi. Who's a who's a mucho bad guy who's got tons of blood on his hands? They, he's got so much blood on his hands they don't even say which uh, um, suicide bombings he 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 uh, was the mastermind of. And and what happened was is that they escaped escaped prison through a tunnel. Which when you see the pictures, you're like you're like this is a maximum security prison, and there's basically. Uh, a, a, a brick that you could lift and then there's like a tunnel underneath uh, the, the building just in the way the building is made and then they had to dig out just a little bit to get out and then and then they're saying that the uh, guard was asleep and that the cameras weren't being manned and you're like is this a joke it's it's either a conspiracy where somebody was paid off people were paid off to look away or it's a bigger conspiracy that they wanted to release these guys. Uh, um, and this is the way that they didn't want they didn't want the, the public to have to face release uh, to face the to face the public, which would be against a release of prisoners like this. So that's another kind of conspiracy theory on a much higher governmental level. I think that part of me even thinks that they, God forbid, would want this guy Zachariah Zubaydi, who's a murderer, to be the head of the PLO uh, PA Palestinian Authority, or it's just plain old ineptitude. And our security services slash our intelligence services can't figure out where these guys are. And you're like, is this the Israel that I knew? Is this the, 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 the badass, ruthless Israel? And so we have, uh, we have a problem. The system is blinking red. And uh, I spoke to Rev. Mike Foyer about this, and he said, you know, look, uh, you're right. Uh, but let us also um, engage 
our faith in Hashem, and this is where we have to have emuna. And and that's what I did on Rosh Hashanah. I engaged the faith in Hashem, but in emuna, and I believe in God, and I believe very much that this is the third in gathering. I'm certain of it. Um, for me, I am certain of it. That this is the great, you know, return of the third Jewish Commonwealth. Uh, but on the other hand, today is Tzom Gedalia, where we celebrate Jewish self-destruction, where we commemorate Jewish self-destruction. And I'm speaking out about it. Even though my MO is to be positive, I'm telling you that I see, uh, uh, I see cracks in the system. The, bl- the system is blinking red. And, uh, and, and we, should be, we should fight for this. We have to fight. We have to fight. And we do fight here. You know, Israelis on the national side are fighting. And I think that, that we have a very strong, you know, base of people that are with us. And moreover, much of the youth is coming on our side. And that is one of the greatest positive markers in, in the reality of the modern state of Israel is that the youth are with us. Uh, so that's what I wanted to talk about, uh, Zechariah Zabedi and, uh, and, and where the system is heading right now, and that we have to fight, and I really do feel that we are fighting. And if you're in a place like, like some of my friends in Australia who are really in tough shape out there, and I had a big chat with a good friend of mine, my friend Jeff in Australia, and uh, you know he told me a lot of stuff that's happening, including you know people being fined for being in synagogues and stuff like that, and 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 an insane level of control. But what really scared me about Australia was that you you cannot leave easily. You have to like apply for a permit to leave, and that one's not given that easily, and it takes a long time. And I'm just like, oh my god, you're stuck in a situation where you can't leave the country. That that is scary. That is scary. Um, uh, speaking of uh, blinking red, I had uh, the great privilege of praying on the Temple Mount this uh, Rosh Hashanah, and I will be on in just a few minutes after I record my show. I will be on with um, uh, with uh, Jame and the Ames, Nachum Siegel. He's, we're going to talk about uh, praying on the Temple Mount, and uh, what can I tell you? Praying on the Temple Mount is one of the greatest avant-garde, forward, and yet retro, most retro, most historical ways to pray. Um, And I got to really pray. I think I'm going to actually, I'm going to, you know, the New York Times wrote a big article about that. I'm going to tweet that article in a few minutes and talk about how great it was to pray in the Temple Mount, this Rosh Hashanah. There's no pictures because we don't take pictures on Rosh Hashanah. There's no, there's no social media. And there was a different kind of media, which is to 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 pray to the God of Israel. And uh, we walked across the, the the plaza, and then and then um, and then standing on the east side of the Temple Mount, facing towards the Holy of Holies, uh, we prayed the morning prayer uh, of the first day. I did that, and then the second day, I came on to the. How do we pray? How is it that we pray? The rabbi knows everything by heart, and he just said everything in a hushed tone. And the police kind of just looked away. And the Waqaf, this Muslim trust, just kind of accepts that that's the new, that's the new normal. And we're praying up there. I'm one of the believers that we should establish a synagogue on the Temple Mount. That's what I think. I think we should establish a synagogue as a step. As a step, I mean, you know, let's, 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 let's be clear. I don't believe that there should be an Islamic presence up there. I think it's a Jewish site. And I, and I am not one of these people that thinks that we could find, you know, some kind of dual 
thing. I don't. I don't think that that's right. I think it's an injustice. I think this is our our uh, 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 past and our future. And I think that this is an, an Islamic shrine that's there to enshrine, as my friend Jake says, to enshrine uh, the loss of our sovereignty. So I'd like to see that removed at some point. You know, but in the meantime, I, I do believe that there should be a synagogue there to pray. But uh, just you know, as and that existed in different centuries that there was a Jewish synagogue, even though it was a Muslim or Christian site. In any case, got to pray at the Temple Mount, and, and my favorite prayer was actually Mincha, the afternoon prayer of the second day. Got to say the whole Shmonaisra there, the whole the whole prayer, the central kind of meditative prayer. My son was there with me, and we really had a very powerful spiritual moment on Rosh Hashanah to start the year. Some people fly away to places like Uman uh, to be close to Rabbi Nachman. I get it, and I actually am not a critic of that because I could understand that it's it's powerful and there's 40,000 people praying together. And I think that if there's one holiday that you can kind of go away for, it's Rosh Hashanah. I get that. Um, uh, although uh, although there's a verse that says, The eyes of God are on the land from the beginning of the year until the end of the year. And the Balaturim says, Reshit, uh, is uh, is the same letters as Tishrei from the from the beginning of Tishrei? Eyes, God's eyes are upon the land, and I felt tremendous uh, a, tr- a tremendous merit for me personally to be able to be in the place where where guys where God's eyes are upon the land, and I wouldn't trade that experience of praying on the Temple Mount with any other experience personally, and I really would love to urge you to uh, come next year. It's a, it's an amazing feeling. And I thank God for people like Rabbi Ellie Weber, who's an amazing scholar and leader, and a courageous leader of the movement to pray on the Temple Mount, uh, the normalization of Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. Uh, and it was great, by the way, to be with ultra-Orthodox Jews, Sephardi Jews, Kippas uh, 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 well, modern Orthodox is not the right word, but let's say religious Zionist Jews, uh, and it was just great to be with with those kind of just and there was even some secular folks who were up there taking pictures with their kids, but uh, you know and and that's not recommended, uh, but still Jewish presence on the Temple Mount is just so important. Um, it's it's not only is it praying to God, but it's also kibush. It is capturing and 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 uh, and uh, occupying in the good sense our uh, our land and making it more Jewish and more ancient, more the way it used to be, and pushing back against the jihadist control of that Temple Mount, of that, of that place. Um, I have to get off uh, and go uh, speak with the Nachum Segal in just a few minutes, uh, but I want to finish off with one last thought for all of you, my good friends, uh, and that is uh, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, which we're going to read on Yom Kippur, and I don't know... Oh. The other thing is, we I just want to say, when we prayed on the Temple Mount on, on this Rosh Hashanah, the first thing we did is we said Shabbat Shalom to the land of Israel because we have become the seventh sabbatical year, and that means that the land is holier this year. That means that its fruits are holier this year. We're going to be engulfed in holiness this year, and that's an amazing reason to live in Eretz Yisrael, is that, is that you get in Eretz Yisrael, which is that you get a chance to eat holy fruits. And that means that your body, your cells turn holier. And that's, you know, my daughter was born on the Shemitah year and, and she was born in when while, while, while our bodies were eating holy things. And so I think that that's, and she was, you know, she, she uh, was, uh, um, you know, maturing in the womb while, while, eat, while, while her mom was eating just holy fruits. 
And so that's a reason to be positive. Uh, speaking of food, right before uh, right before Rosh Hashanah came, I got a knock at the door. It was it was none other than Chaim from Prohibition Pickle, and he brought a delicious bag, two bags actually, full of yum yums, including uh, uh, including pickles, salami, which I love, uh, and, and other another uh, delectable yummies, and uh, we ate many of them on Rosh Hashanah itself. And Rosh Hashanah, we make these, you know, signs. We have these uh, symbols that symbolize uh, a good year. And I thought to myself, there's no bigger simon uh, for a good year than than when when Chaim of Prohibition Pickle came knocking on my door. And I want to add just one more point. Uh, Prohibition Pickle is one of the sponsors of the show. I just want to say that if you've got a, 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 a child that's learning here for the year, there's no funner gift to send them then ringing up Prohibition Pickle and making an order for your kid who's in you know, Yerushalayim or Beit Shemesh or wherever one of these places, send them a gift basket and their friends as well uh, of yummy pre-Shabbat treats and they'll thank you for it. And that's check them out on uh, Instagram and on Facebook, Prohibition Pickle, here in Eretz Yisrael, in Judea. And uh, we wish Chaim a lot of luck because he's going to be opening up a bigger kitchen because business is booming, thank God. That's because he's got a great product. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, um, and I want to thank also Jewish Press for putting out our show every single week. Uh, I want to thank Moshe Herman. Uh, right, Jewish Press, jewishpress.com. Uh, check out their great email, uh, Jewish Express. I want to thank the folks that helped get this show out to the world, which is uh, Moshe Herman, uh, Yocheved, Tabitha, Ben Bresky, and Lou, when we're live especially, helps produce the show. Thank you so much, all of you guys, for being awesome. Um and um and uh, yeah, your support is what makes all the difference. And I got a chance to uh, to thank some of my supporters uh, before the Chag, and also the folks that support my other hat, which is even the bigger hat, which is the Jewish community of Hebron, uh, and uh, holding on to the tomb of the forefathers and mothers in Hebron and keeping strong there, even in light of all the challenges that we face, including terrorism and other challenges. We're keeping it open, keeping it touristic. We're going to be opening it up big on Sukkot. So the folks that want to help, go to hebronfund.org. Thank you so much for visiting there and keeping a strong hebronfund.org. And finally, in the last few minutes that remain for me, I just want to say that the book of Jonah is a great book. We're going to read it on Yom Kippur. And you all know that Jonah is swallowed by the whale. You all know that Jonah is swallowed by the whale. Um, and that's like a famous story that every kid knows, right? Yeah, so the book, the book of Jonah is famous, but the story of Jonah being swallowed up by the whale is the, is the important one there. You know, we have these great animal stories. The snake speaks uh, to, the, uh, to Adam and Eve, uh, and, uh, and the donkey speaks at, uh, to Bilam. But here the whale does not speak. It's, it speaks through silence. It swallows up Jonah. And we all kind of know that Jonah is uh, kind of like tortured while being digested inside the, uh, inside the whale. And, and you can read by the verses that he prays out to God and it's like, I'm, I'm in this darkness. I'm in this kind of like, you know, bad situation. Help me out. And that's understandable. Being swallowed by a whale is, is certainly unpleasant. Uh, and, you know, the image there is of a, of a great punishment, of a kind of hell that he's facing. And it's a type of hell. He's like, he's, you know, he was at the bottom of the ship. He comes up. They have to throw him overboard. He goes into the water. A whale swallows him, and the whale goes deep. In the meantime, so he's like in, in, he's like in, 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 a, 
many covered. He's got all these like he's like in a whale underneath the water, uh, and he's just far away from anything normal. And and that's very painful. It's a painful vision, and it's a vision of exile. Right, it's a vision of a, of a person who's who's disconnected from everything. And finally, through his great prayers, he's like spat out on the shore, and he's back. And I always thought to myself that 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 when I saw those Jews coming out of the nefesh benefesh planes, out of the airplanes on Aliyah, I always thought that that's like Yonah coming out of the whale. It's like being spat back out on the land, and like you got you got a reprieve, you got a different, you got another chance. To, to live it again, to, to do it again, to do your great mission one more time. Uh, I want to throw out, though, that the Medrash in the Pirkei the Rabbi Eliezer has a totally different vision of what that time was like inside the whale. It was actually that the eyes of the whale became like, like glass and that the whale became like the Nautilus ship of 20,000 leagues under the sea taking, taking Yonah, Jonah, throughout the universe and showing him all kinds of beautiful and miraculous things about how God created the world and 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 showing him um the 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 foundations of of the continents and the holy places and where things are hidden and all kinds of things that are marvelous and magical and it was like uh and it was like uh Jacques Rousteau you know, he's just seeing the marvels of the universe. What was what was Jacques Rousteau's ship's name? I wonder. Do you remember that? When I was a kid, we used to watch that. I used to watch that Jacques Rousteau, and I was mesmerized by it. I was mesmerized by those shows. Uh, and the reason I bring this up to you is it's really a choice, I think, about how we want to see our state of affairs. Do we want to see exile or do we want to see redemption? Like, what do you want God to show you? Do you want God to show you the punishments that you can get by not being close to Him? Or do you want Him to show you the marvelous opportunities of, of this world? And that's what the measure says. It says, He showed him, He inspired him. He turned him on. He showed him what, what this world can be, what it should be, what it is underneath it all. And that's, what, that's when He sent him back into the mode. And that's also how we should see the exile itself. Was it only uh, uh, the horrible things that we faced at the hands of persecutors? Or was it also an ingathering of sparks, a meeting of good people, a bringing in of converts and other things, and bringing cultures that we've met along the way and bringing them back to the land of Israel? I choose the latter. I choose to believe that there are many beautiful things that God has done and is doing right now. So with all the challenges that I spoke about in the first half of the program, that's what I think is so important is to see the great light and with that be inspired to fight and to prophesy and to, and to fulfill those prophecies. That's the challenge of our times. And I think that's the challenge of Jonah, who's really the, um, the Jew who is, who is a prophet, but, but, uh, but, but some ways he uh, is uh, reluctant. He's the reluctant prophet. And that's what the Jewish people are. Sometimes we're reluctant prophets, reluctant channels uh, of godliness. But God says, see the great world that I want to bring about, that I, that I have underneath it all, that I want to bring it about. You're the, you're the agents of that change. So don't be a reluctant prophet. Don't be a reluctant Jew, but be fully, fully into it. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. I want to wish you a Shana Tovah Metukah. And I want to give a special blessing to all those who listen to the show to the end. 
to have and, and anybody who's part of my my world and my life uh, and, and is connected to me, I want to wish you guys all the brachot uh, for a great new year and lots of strength and lots of health. Let's overcome this coronavirus and also let's not be afraid of it. Uh, let's be strong uh, together. Let's build. Let's not allow our country to be eaten away by any kinds of viruses, but let us let us defeat them. Uh, defeat those viruses, hold on to what's true, and actually through that strength be a blessing to even uh, uh, many peoples in, in our region and, and around the world. Israel is a light, and it can't be a light. We just have to believe that. We have to fight for it. I believe in it. I'm fighting for it. And I, and I, when I believe it, uh, what Israel is, I get strength from Hashem, strength from, the, from Jerusalem, strength from the Temple Mount, strength from connectivity. Uh, and when I'm with you, you give me strength as well. Write me an email, yishai, yishaifleischer.com. Thank you to all the people that make the show happen. God bless you, and shalom. <laughs>